Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with one of our new guest hosts, Ayana. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm fantastic as always. So Ayana comes to us from a background in journalism and business and not-for-profits and a whole bunch of other things. So uh, Ayana, what would you what would you say that you're doing now? Well, right now I'm an executive director. Um, I'm the executive director for a nonprofit organization called Resilient Coders. Uh, we're headquartered in Boston, but we have a location in Philadelphia. And our mission is social justice through economic empowerment. We uh, educate young adults, 18 to 30 years old, preparing them to become software engineers. Uh, it's a free and stipended program. And once they complete the 20-week boot camp, um, they are, we help them get placed into jobs with an average salary of $94,000 a year. We love to work with low-income communities of color, and um, they're trained in general object-oriented programming principles. Uh, such as JavaScript, React, Node, HTML, CSS, and MongoDB. It's a wonderful job, wonderful mission, and a wonderful opportunity. For sure. Sounds amazing. And I'd love if we could kind of rewind and go back in time and figure out how we got there. But uh, what were what was Ayanna like as a kid? What are some early childhood memories? Uh, what were you like growing up? I love this question. I was very, very loquacious. I okay. did not stop asking questions. I was always um, busy doing something. My parents, um, they tried to keep up and, and at times they would try to answer my questions. But sometimes my questions were more ph philosophical, like how far is the moon from the sun or uh, how deep is the ocean? I just remember asking questions that uh, now, in retrospect, as an adult, I can see why at times my grandmother and my parents would just say, can you just be quiet for a second? <laughs> and so um, I, I remember at, I think I was about five years old, um, I had a lot of questions and my grandmother was watching the news and I just kept asking her questions. And she said to me, you need to be a journalist because you love asking questions and that resonated with me. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but it it just kind of the seed germinated or the seed was planted. And I thought to myself, I like to ask questions. My grandma says I should be a journalist. So when people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I just said a journalist because that was mm -hmm. one of the things that my grandmother said. And And it also made sense because I do things like uh, growing up, we had a, a map of Africa. My father had a map of Africa on the wall in my room. And I would I had uh, two sisters and a brother, and my brother wasn't born at the time. But I would ask my sisters to sit down on the bed and watch me do the news. Okay. And so I had a, have a long ruler, and I'd be looking, and I'd be saying, okay, today in the weather, and I would pretend to be a broadcaster because, you know, that was just natural for me to do. I didn't affiliate that at the time with being a journalist or a broadcaster, but it was just something that was natural for me to want to be in front of people speaking and communicating and asking questions and uh, getting information out of folks. 
that's amazing. So uh, kudos to the power of planting seeds to, to your grandmother. So <laughs> yes, uh, folks yes. out there, just beware of what you tell people because they might take it to heart and they might start doing little presentations for their siblings and things like that. <laughs> yes. um, so it sounds like that, that, that grandma had, had a great influence. Uh, how about some of the other folks in the family, parents, siblings, cousins, uh, who else kind of reinforced or uh, adjusted kind of that view of journalism or other things that you were into as you were growing up? My parents were very um, big on reading. Like mm. we, we, I read a lot and a treat. My father, um, he was a hard worker. Uh, he worked in sanitation for the city of Philadelphia. And he would come home after working 12 hours, 14 hours. And his treat for us was to go to the library mm. and all four of us, or the three girls at the time, my brother was too young. We thought it was like going to Chuck E. Cheese's today or Dave and Buster's or some like amusement park to go to the library. And when the library increased the book limit so we could take out 20 books a week, it was a gift. Wow. And we were so excited. And my father, like I'd read all my books and then I'd come back and say, then my sisters, we would switch books and uh, we would read each other's books and then we would say, okay, dad, can we go back? And it would be like three days later. He's like, listen, you have to slow down reading these books. So my parents were really, um, really instrumental in creating and cultivating that, that passion for learning and creativity and imagination. He would read the books to us. We would act the books out. Um, so that, that gave me the idea that I could write. And so um, in fifth grade, we had um, we used to have these weekly readers, and I'm I'm really aging myself. We used to have a, re a weekly reader, and in the weekly reader, you could buy things. And so I had money, and my mom said, "Well, you can you know choose what you want from your weekly reader." And I chose to buy a journal, and it was a little it was a little um, diary. It was so cute; it had a little lock on it. I remember it had multiple colors uh, crayons on it, and so all the colors of the rainbow was crayons. And they had the the pages were gold leaf, and there was a little key that you could um, lock the journal. And I, I thought it was like the best gift in the world, and I committed to write in this journal every night, as you know, as as a fifth grader. So I started writing in my journal every night. And I say it was a habit that um, that that followed me through college. Every night I write in a journal. So over here on my shelf, you can see all of my journals from, um, I don't have the one, my mom has the ones from like, has the journals from like elementary school and middle <laughs> school, but I, I still have my teenage journals. I did, I don't, I did not let those out of my sight, but I can go back and see, um, you know, just who I was at that time and what I was writing about. My mom, one day she was going through papers and she started to look at my journals and every day, every day I wrote about food. Today I okay. ate this, you know, I, I love today. My mom gave me $3 and I was able to go to Burger King last night. We had this for dinner. Like every day um, I talked about like the food that I had. So that just kind of leans into the fact that I love food. I love mm. different. Um, I love, you know, great meals. I love great uh, experiences so I can follow who I was 
as a child through adolescence and young adulthood through my journals. And that just, just um, that was cultivated because my parents allowed me to read, allowed me to create and told me that I was a good writer. And, and, and that's, that led to my career um, in journalism. That's amazing. And I'm wondering if you could share maybe a couple of uh, influential or memorable books that you read, obviously, in, in your version of Chuck E. Cheese, uh, trading well, tw 20 books a, a week or every three days. That's that's a huge, you probably went through the entire library. But uh, is there any couple, one or two that kind of stick out? And then uh, also maybe one or two food experiences that you might have written about <laughs> that, that come to mind. I'd love if you could share a little bit about those. Sure. So the first book, um, I, I still remember, I learned how to read when I was, uh, I was three going into four. Okay. And I learned how to read using a book called People Read. It was a, a small okay. book. And I still remember that book. It was called People Read. And I learned how to read. I proved I wanted to prove to my mom I could read the book because I didn't want to take a nap. So that's <laughs> okay. one that I remember. I loved all of Judy Bloom's books. Um, mm. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing was one of my favorites. Like I took it to my teacher and I said, can we can we read this? And she read it aloud to the class and we would just sit in class class as kids and just laugh aloud. I remember the robust laughter from uh, my classmates. So that was one that I, you know, I remember reading and just being able to share that, um, to share that. I loved all of the Babysitter's Club's books, like my parents would um, reward me with those books. And so I had a catalog of like all of the Babysitter's Club's books. Um, um, I, as I got older, I loved... Um, I remember the conversations that I had with my father reading um, To Kill a Mockingbird. That yeah, was okay. a book that um, just was very riveting for me. It was it kind of tore the Band-Aid off of like my innocence of thinking that the world was the way my life was, just being mm -hmm. surrounded by love and community and acceptance. Um, so that's another. And um, there's a book called Black Boy by Richard White that I read. Um, in my young adolescence. I think I read that one about 13. And that was one of the books that made me feel like I wanted to be an author and write a book. So I started to like write my own book. So um, there were there were lots. Uh, this is a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. But if you look behind me, um, these are just some of the books that I still um, I still love reading. Reading is still a, a big hobby for me. That's amazing. And I'd love if you could share, if you remember, any like fond uh, food diary moments or uh, anything that was memorable from from the writing aspect of it that, that you can sure. recall. So my mom was um, and still is a great cook. And I was very fortunate to have a mom who uh, was home with us during the day. And if and when she did work, she worked at night and then she later um, had her own business but my mom would make dinners during the week that were like gourmet. And mm. so, you know, there were days we'd come home from school and she would just say, oh, I knew you had a busy day at school or I knew you probably didn't eat a good lunch. So she would make us homemade pizzas. Um, and so that was one that I clearly remember. But I also love coming home when she made lasagna for dinner, like okay. during the week. And, um, and she also made really great spaghetti. Um, so I was always happy when she created like those, those 
like big, big meals. And I could just remember coming in from school and dropping my book bag and you could smell the food before you walked <laughs> in the house. And it was to the point where my mom was such a community um, person. And she was so, so giving that other people would like knock on the door and say, hey, can, may I have some of what you cooked? And she would share. So yeah, she was just a great cook and she made some um, dynamite meals for us. And she showed her love. You could, you could, we knew um, as an adult now in retrospect, I can just feel like her love through the quality of food that she, she made for us during the week as we were going to school. We, I didn't know anything about fake potatoes, fake macaroni and cheese, you know, I remember someone gave me powdered potatoes or, you know, boxed potatoes. And I, I remember over a friend's house and I said, what is this? Like, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> Everything was very fresh. Every Before it was organic and, you know, gluten-free and all of that. My mom was very, um, very serious about having a garden and growing things and making sure our food was fresh and making sure that we ate well and making sure that we were fueled before we went to school. So we had breakfast. She was just really great um, at doing that for her children. That's amazing. It's always nice when you have a, an amazing upbringing and kudos to all moms who are amazing cooks because that's, uh, I definitely uh, love the the food that my mom made as well. So can totally reminisce my own version of it <laughs> as yes, I was growing yes. up. Uh, so, so now we kind of have the foundations of you as, as a reader, a little bit as a writer, writing about all these amazing food uh, experiences that you've had. And wondering if you could share a little bit about that that journey into journalism. Was that, was that pretty straightforward, going into journalism school, picking a program and things like that? Uh, and how was the experience like uh, th through, through college? So in high school, um, I, I, I stuck with my um, passion for writing. I was a writer for our newspaper. Um, I wrote for our community newspaper, but I also joined um, Kid Time News. And Kid Time News was a program that uh, took place, a local TV station, Channel 17, um, would invite teenagers to come and just do a 60 second blurb on uh, anything that we wanted to write about. So that's when I started to kind of merge into broadcast because I was able to produce these pieces and I had to work with a teacher. We would present our ideas to her and she would say, her name was Miss Joyce Stubbs. And she would tell us like, no, this is crap. Take that back. Think of something else. <laughs> and I would always get her approval. So I would come up with things like in the fall. I remember one time um, I said, you know, we, we had some ideas. And so I came to her and I said, Miss Miss Stubbs, what if we did a story on why leaves change color? And we educate kids on why, you know, how the chlorophyll breaks down in the leaves and why they die and how that process works. And she was like, wow, that's amazing. So that gave me like the credence and the, the belief in myself to say, hey, I can I can produce news stories. I can write it out. We would practice. Um, and so while the kids were watching afternoon cartoons, you would just see a blurb of, of me and another fellow student, like just doing this, reading from um, the simulcast and being able to look and read and, and look in the camera and be in the studio. And so that really endorsed the fact that, hey, this is something I can do, I want to do. And I applied to colleges and knowing that I wanted to be in broadcast journalism and I got mm -hmm. accepted to Temple University. And um, that was that was my major. 
that's amazing. So shout out to all those supportive teachers that uh, uh, kind of root for folks and, and give them the opportunity to uh, follow their, their passion. And uh, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how was the journalism experience? Like, is it everything that you hoped it would be? And then what was the journey out into the, the working world? So my journalism experience wasn't what I thought it would be in college. Um, mm. However, I will say I had excellent, um, excellent instructors. Um, I remember one, uh, Vince Hill. I'm still connected to Vince Hill. He was my first um, uh, news writing uh, uh, instructor. And there was another, um, I can't remember the, the other professor's name, but he recommended me for an internship. But the internship wasn't at a newspaper. The internship was for the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau in the PR department. And okay. here's where the monkey wrench is thrown into the story. Oh. Because I was able to write and create um, influential pieces as far as PR and be able to help a person say, oh, well, let's talk about the tourism of Philadelphia. Let's talk about the new Cezanne uh, exhibition that came to uh, Philadelphia in, in the late 1990s, or let's talk about um, the new museums that are opening and how they're revamping the uh, Rodin, or uh, let's look at this. And so that just opened my eyes to, wait, I can write, but it doesn't necessarily have to be for newspaper. I can tell stories and I can influence how a person is receiving someone's image or receiving the image of a city. It just began to open me up to, to the other possibilities that, that existed. And so um, I interned with the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau pretty much for the full um, span of my college career. I was there for three years. The only reason I left is that I was accepted into... Um, uh, now they call it a fellowship, but at the time it was a White House internship. So I left in my junior year and interned at the White House in the upper press office. And I was able to work with um, the senior, um, excuse me, the uh, White House press secretary, Mike McCurry. And that also had an indelible impact on me on just what the power of the media to be in uh, the room. They called it a daily gaggle. And I would be in the, da the daily gaggle with like Cokie Roberts, Sam Donaldson, Wolf Blitzer. These This was in 1998. So um, to be there and to be their gopher, to hear the stories, to watch Mike McCurry pitch the stories and say to them, hey, we're going to talk about this, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, to be in the White House and, and meet Coretta Scott King and Jesse Jackson, to see uh, Alan Greenspan and um, Janet Reno, all of these folks who were running the country and to just be my, you know, this little girl from West Philadelphia in, in, <laughs> in the midst of all of this, to, to walk down the hallway and see the president of the United States um, and, and, you know, just have this mindset of, wow, I'm here. Um, I, I am in the, you know, planted in the middle of democracy in some way. Um, it was it was a phenomenal opportunity, and it just opened me up to all of the the vast possibilities uh, for me in the field of communications. 
that's amazing. And I'm wondering if you can continue on that story from, from after graduation. So now you have all these possibilities, like met a lot of amazing people as well. Uh, what was the process to kind of take that and, and get into the, the working world? So when I finished college, I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to be a producer. I thought that I would stay in broadcasting and, for folks who, you know, start start their career in broadcasting, we, you know, and I didn't know at the time, but you know that you really you really got to start from the bottom up and you don't get to start always in um a main market. You you start yeah. in uh you start in somewhere like for me, I got a job offer in Yuma, Arizona on a reservation <laughs> and it was for $9.50 an hour. <laughs> and my family, you know, were they were very proud of me that I graduated from college, um, that, you know, I graduated with honors. But it, it just became a different conversation when I said, OK, I have a job opportunity. I need to move to, you know, Yuma, Arizona, and I'm going to be making nine dollars and 50 cents an hour. And it was just like, wait, how are you going to take your, care of yourself with nine dollars and 50 cents an hour? Like. Where are you going to live? Who do we know in Yuma, Arizona? Why did you come up with this idea? Didn't you go to college? And I can clearly remember <laughs> my dad saying to me, if you were going to go to college to make $9.50 an hour, you could have just worked for the city. He worked for the city right. of Philadelphia. And so just that mindset of, no, you have to find a different way. We cannot afford to support you um, in this, in this dream, you, I had a sister who was at Drexel university. Um, her major was finance. I had another sister who was a year behind her, who was about to, you know, graduate from high school and, and, and getting ready to matricul matriculate through college. And then two years behind her, my brother is, you know, he was on his way to Villanova university to, you know, to be a, a CS major. So, you know, it was like, I didn't have the freedom to say, oh, well, I'll just go and just find myself. I needed to figure something out fast. Right. And so I graduated from college, low income, having debt, having student loans. And, you know, although I worked my way through school, I still didn't um, I didn't I wasn't able to pay my debt down completely. And I had to make a decision. I had to say, OK, who's hiring now? In, in my field. And because I was connected to the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau, I had a, a contact who, I, um, someone who worked on the team who was now working in advertising. And she said, hey, we have a account, um, a junior account executive position available um, in advertising. Would you, would you like to take it? Well, it was still a low income, uh, excuse me, a low salary. Uh, however, I could stay home. And, and take this opportunity in advertising. And in advertising, I still had an opportunity to write. I was still able to produce. I wrote, you know, uh, I wrote scripts for some of our clients. And I worked with um, multiple industries. I worked, McDonald's was a client. Um, the city of Philadelphia was a client. Um, the Greater Philadelphia Cultural Alliance was a client. We had healthcare clients. University of Penn was a client. So I was able to learn the fundamentals of developing marketing strategies and plans for across various industries. So I'd switch ahead. One minute I'm working with McDonald's, 
switched ahead next minute. I'm working with the VP of marketing for University of Penn and we're opening a restaurant, switched ahead. The next minute we're developing a plan for uh, health partners and we're doing commercials and we're writing the commercial out. So it, it was a great opportunity and it just kept it, it, it just kept expanding me uh, to like, okay, can you do this? I don't know. We'll see. And so my answer to can you do this would always be yes. Yes, I can do this. And then I'd run into the corner and learn or I get, you know, my ideas smacked down and I go home and lick my wounds, but I come back fighting for more. So it, it just gave me the opportunity to say, can you do this? Hmm, can I do it? Yes. And um, that opportunity opened me up to marketing and I still use that's still the basic uh, foundation for how how I how I've been able to integrate in and out of different circles and industries because I've I've learned that at 23 years old, um, you know, being there for a few years, just how to keep switching my brain and my hats on basically like whatever the clients need. Can you do it? Yes, I can. And um, so that that opened me up. I wasn't. In the White House, I wasn't on television, but I was able to still write speeches. I was able to still speak. I was able to be on radio and do voiceovers. Um, I was able to write scripts. I was able to write press releases. I was able to write stories for newspapers. So it just gave me a full scope and a full opportunity to immerse my talent and my skills in, in different spaces and places. That's amazing. I, I love what you said about, well, I don't know if you call it a mantra, but when someone asks, can you do this? It's automatic. Yes. <laughs> There's no question. You'll figure it out along the way and, and having that confidence that you can figure it out, I think is so important and something that uh, folks should start cultivating in themselves because uh, you can figure it out. I mean, there's so many resources, the internet, even like chat GPT and AI now that mm -hmm, you can even mm -hmm. ask uh, for, for help and, and questions and stuff. And I, I love how you said that uh, it was networking and opportunities, staying connected with folks that kind of led you to, uh, I guess, some of these opportunities in the future. And I love if you kind of further on the story. So you've obviously done some, some work in the not-for-profit space, and then you ended up taking like your MBA and had various leadership roles uh, up until uh, what you're doing now. But can you uh, walk us through a little bit of, of, of those uh, parts of your career as well? Sure. So um, after working for um, the, in advertising, and that's a very, anyone who works in advertising and marketing, if you're listening now, I know you are busy and I know your hours are long. <laughs> Um, and I know that switching the hats with multiple clients is difficult. Uh, so any client services or client relations opportunity, I know that you're, you do a lot of juggling. And um, sometimes it's not sustainable. Like you can do it for a few years, but, you know, the long hours, the, the fast paced, um, unless, you know, like that's your jam. Um, at, at, at some point I was like, OK, I, I want to just have one client. I just want to have one job. I just want to work with one um, client. And I did work for, um, I just, you know, uh, found another opportunity and just became a marketing manager for um, a nonprofit. And um, that that experience was, um, was very rewarding. But then I had a, a pivot and a pivot, um, it, it was you know, an opportunity that came up to work for my church. And because I'm a, you know, a faith-filled person, um, I'm a believer. I thought at the time that, you know, just 
um, working for that particular nonprofit in an underserved community, it it related more to my my um, my purpose and my passion for rebuilding communities. And I thought that it would be um, I, I didn't think that it would be as hard as it was. <laughs> and I'm I'm just being very transparent about that. Like I didn't think that working in that community would be as tough as it was, and it was tough. Um, I grew a lot from the opportunity. But the thing that I learned from that is sometimes people can present you with an opportunity to say, hey, this is the best thing for you and here's why. You really need to take an introspective look into, is this going to work for me or is this going to work for them? And so one of the things that I wish I knew at that time was, it's okay to say no. Like I was so used Mm -hmm. to saying, yes, I can do it that I didn't know at the time that it was okay to say no. It was it was okay to say, not right now, or that's not, mm, I really don't see that for myself or feel that for myself. Um, it's okay to say no. So it took me until I was about, um, by this time I was probably about 27 years old, where I, I just had to learn to say, you know what, this doesn't align with my goals. Um, I'm going to step away from this and do something else. And I knew based on the work that I've been able to accomplish in the community that I've been able to serve, I knew that um, communications was my thing. But at this time, now I'm in operations. I'm running a business. I'm running a church. I'm running a community. I'm able to um, I've been able to build uh, grassroots campaigns and open up a food bank and and, and start an after school program. So now I know like, OK, wow. I'm a businesswoman. I'm not just a communicator. Wow. I'm not just this marketing person. I'm a businesswoman. I get things done. And guess what? I think I want to invest in myself in a space of business and I want to go back to school and get my master's degree. And at the time, my father um, I was also enduring life life changes. And sometimes when we write down our goals and we write down what we want to do and we have a plan, we don't uh, we don't take into consideration that life is going to happen while all of these things are happening. So here's life happening to me. Um, the, the man that I was engaged to, he dies of cancer. That wasn't planned. That wasn't that wasn't something on my radar. So here I'm dealing with this trauma. I'm dealing with this grief. And subsequently, right after he he passes, my dad gets sick and my dad is my hero. My dad is my best friend. He's my everything. And then he dies. So I I have two back to back back to back losses of men who were so instrumental in my life that I felt like, what you know, what am I going to do now? And so I made I made I went back to my roots and I thought the best way for me to keep my mind together is for me to um, immerse myself in learning, immerse myself in reading. And so I moved to Arizona because it was just beautiful and had a great friend who lived (laughs) there. Um, I moved to Arizona to just take myself away from everybody and everything. I was tired of people looking at me and with sad eyes, like when you're grieving, people are like, you know, they, they care about you, but I just, I wanted to be able to move forward in a place where no one knew me. And I needed the beauty and the sanctity and the, in the peace of Arizona. Moved there, got my master's degree in business um, and worked ironically for the American Cancer Society, which was very healing because a lot of the people I got to work with were cancer survivors, had lost someone in their family due to cancer. 
Um, and so I was able to be around people who who uh, were aiding in my healing and aiding in my uh, development. And so I did that. I finished my master's, came back home. And um, when I went back to Arizona, I had my degree. I was so excited, looking forward to um, promotion and all of the possibilities. And I was laid off. Another piece of life that you don't expect to happen. So what am I going to do? Am I going to um, just, you know, sit here? So I, I came home, came back to Philadelphia. And that's when a lot of opportunities and, you know, just operations began to open for me. Um, I started to work in my first management position where I was managing a, a, a team of people and realizing, wow, I have never managed people I may need to work on my management skills. And I, I was telling uh, one of my coaches last night, we were we were laughing and there were some things that I would say to my team that would get me canceled today. <laughs> so <laughs> there were things that I would say, like, um, uh, you know, just to say, you know, hey, you can't wear this or hey, you can't come to work like that. Those things wouldn't fly today. And so I'm so grateful for the mentors that I had. Get yourself a mentor if you don't have one. Um, and the classes that I was able to take, just continuing to stay in classes, learning about constructive criticism, learning how to give, um, you know, how to give feedback properly, how to win your team, how to lead instead of manage, how to be a great leader and to be someone that folks want to follow. Why do people want to follow you? Like that was a question that uh, one of our instructors asked, like, why would someone want to follow you? And it's a question I still ask myself. And so just continuing to develop in that space um, ha has allowed me to just become more empathetic with the people that I lead, as well as uh, those now that I'm in this space who are, you know, my age when I got started and they're coming right out of college to be able to say, OK, how can I be um, a champion for them? How can I be a sponsor for them? How can I be a mentor or a big sister to them so that some of the things that I needed as a young professional, I can provide to them? So I want to become what I needed to to the next generation. That's amazing. A lot of great uh, um, information there. And um, I, I really like how you said that it's almost like the universe conspiring for you where having that role at the American Cancer Society actually allowed you to heal a little bit, which I think was uh, amazing. And then uh, learning about uh, kind of those management skills. I think I was chatting with someone yesterday where there's a stat there. Uh, typical people have uh, management or leadership positions when they're 36. And then they get trained on being a leader when they're 40. So there's <laughs> yes. like a bit of a disconnect <laughs> in terms of like that, that learning. So uh, it, it's great that, that you're able to, to find a mentor and, and things like that as, as well. Um, and I love as, as we kind of wrap up uh, the episode, uh, you shared a lot of your swike already, uh, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. So things like, uh, can you do this? Yes. <laughs> Just answer that. Or it's okay to say no or getting a mentor. Uh, are any of those ones that you'd want to elaborate a little bit more on or any other ones that you'd want to uh, add in terms of stuff that you'd want to share with uh, the young Ayanas out there listening <laughs> and, and are, are kind of listening and, and um, identifying with a lot of the things that you've done? Uh, what, what sort of swipe would you have for your younger self? To just wrap it up, um, there's a mantra that I, I go by now. And it's, if you don't have a vision for yourself, someone will always have a vision for you. 
And nine times out of the out of ten, it will benefit them. And so, to my younger self, I would say, and to the younger Ayanas, and to those who are listening who are early in their career, one, you have to be teachable, and two, you also have to have the confidence in yourself that you can do it. And so sometimes I waited for people to endorse me, to um, see the good in me, to see the value in me. But you have to see it in yourself. If you don't see it, someone else may see it and they'll they'll use that to their advantage. But take what you know about yourself, glean from find your tribe, find the people who will pour into you and use that to advance don't don't if, if someone if the opportunity you had before it didn't work out it's okay move forward keep going um don't give up you know don't quit because it didn't work advance persist keep going but i i want you to find your tribe and find the folks who can that you can trust to build into you so that as you're moving through your career you are supported by people who who really believe in you I think a lot of that is interrelated to what you shared before, where um, oftentimes people will say, well, that's easier said than done. But uh, I think part of the key to that is is what you said about the confidence, where confidence doesn't mean that you, you don't have, you aren't nervous or you're not anxious or you're stressed. Confidence just means that you believe enough in yourself that you can do it, right? And you can figure it out uh, there. It doesn't mean that it'll be perfect, <laughs> but at least uh, you, you can figure it out. So I think th that's all amazing. Um, and uh, again, taking that time maybe even this weekend to create that vision for yourself uh, otherwise someone will have it uh, have that vision for you i think is is, is great uh, words of wisdom so uh, for folks that want to uh, connect with you where might be the best place for them to, to reach out to and then uh, what are some of the future aspirations that we could look forward to hearing about uh, in the future yes um i i would love to connect i'm on linkedin um ayana lot pollard on linkedin you can also find me on uh Instagram, you can find me, um, you can't find me on Twitter. So um, <laughs> I have Twitter, but I just, I just haven't been able to, to um, immerse myself in Twitter, but you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, in the future, I am a, um, I am a coach to young adults and to young emerging leaders. So in the future, you could find me at, um, uh, you can find me on my website, ayanalot.com. And um, lots of the information and, and sharing of, of my experience and, you know, just imparting some of that wisdom. Um, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to have folks come meet me over there as well. That's amazing. And we'll definitely link to all those uh, places in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much, Ayana, for, for sharing your story, uh, all the way from, from journalism uh, to making an impact and, and all the trials and tribulations in between. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Luki. I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I feel like it's been very therapeutic to just go back and think <laughs> about that process and how I started, who I was, and who I am now, and just really be grateful for all the people who've helped me along the way. So thank you. No, my pleasure. Take care, and we'll chat soon. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. 
feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.